A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block, and I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks, and we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes, hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the place Place where the streets and and politics meet. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, Happy New Year, people, all the Street Politicians fans, supporters, viewers, listeners, People who give us all types of feedback. Uh, I got a call from uh, my son, Tariq, a few days ago where he said he spent time over the holiday when he wasn't doing much, just listening to Street Politicians podcast, uh, old uh, episodes, and he was giving me feedback on how the, the episodes are edited and ways that you know we need to bring uh, some more flavor to the show and all of that. And I was like, that's kind of energy we need. We like that. We like feedback about what we can do. Well, what he was really talking about is the younger audience, right? And like making sure that we integrate younger voices around issues into our content. And I think that's true. I think uh, right now, when we look at the guests that we have had 
over the last, you know, three years now, uh, specifically on uh, the Black Effect podcast network, but in general, they more so are around our own age group, right? These are people sometimes a little old and every now and then a little younger, but really it's people who are probably 35 to 50 in that group that are out here really doing incredible work who really are, are folks that are now, uh, they're not at the beginning of their careers, they, but they're not at the end. They're really in that good part. Like that's that that's the part where the meat is nice and tender um, and they're really getting uh, to become experts at their craft. Um, and so I think, you know, we've done a lot to showcase that, but there are a lot of younger people who are, you know, even below 30 that are really advocating for justice on issues. You've got lawyers out there. You've got the, the first uh, young black mayor um, of one of the cities in, in this country. I mean, it's just so many different younger people, younger voices and younger perspectives. And so, you know, that is something. To, and, and by the way, I think that goes uh, uh, on alongside the elderly community, right? And because they're, you know, one of the topics we're going to talk about today in terms of the Dr. King, uh, Dr. King's birthday, um, and we're going to, you know, get into uh, something that a lot of people don't know around that. I learned about it from our elders, right? From people who are over the age of 70, 75, and they have so much to offer as well. So as this new year begins, 2023, what I'm excited about for street politicians is the possibility of where we can go, knowing all that we know, having a team now that has really over the last year been able to, uh, you know, perfect what it looks like to have a strong podcast that has great content. And now I think we get to uh, spice it up and add into the mix some of the things that we want to do. Uh, that will hopefully be appealing to people like Tariq, who's like, listen, I, I got all that stuff and that stuff is good and don't stop. But let's add these elements as well to increase the younger viewership of the podcast. Yeah, I think that's definitely what we need. You know, once again, Happy New Year to all of our fans. This is our first episode back and we love you. And I hope that you didn't make New Year's resolutions. I just want you to make change, you know, evolve the mind state, you know, for the first the beginning of the new year, for the first five days, I went on a fast, you know, to cleanse and just get to recenter myself. And I try to do that. And, and I've been, I want to be intentional about writing down my thoughts and writing down my plans so I can see them constantly. So I got a little thing on my refrigerator now that I write out things and I write out my to-do list and I check it off as I go along because I see it. And it makes, it reminds me that I haven't accomplished certain things. So I hope you're doing something like that, that is putting you in the mind frame about growing. You know, it's every year, every year, new year, it's, it's just a time to refocus. I don't think, you know, the new year, new me, everybody says that, but this getting this refocus and getting the time to focus on your mind, focus on your health, you know, focus on your goals, and, and really set to accomplish. For me, they say this is the Jordan year, 23, and Jordan was about execution. Jordan executed, he scored buckets, he put buckets on the board at a high level. So I think this is a year of execution for me. This is no longer just the planning stages and you know the ideas and the thought process. It's about really executing, fully executing. You know, So I, I hope 
that's what it is for you. I hope that you 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 really have met, are trying to manifest your ideas and manifest your dreams and manifest your goals and and really carry them out from A to Z because that's where I am. Yeah, I think that's so so important. And I hate to be the uh, Debbie Downer, but when you talk about the Jordan year being uh, twenty three. One of the things that I also learned during my vacation and holiday time was what 23 means, um, you know, to the human trafficking community, right? And that is an actual community. It is very scary. Um, I learned through the story of this young woman, Marissa, who went missing. I was able to, like, be educated in a few days, a few hours, excuse me, five hours, but really the first few minutes of trying to help get this woman away from uh, individuals who appeared to be trafficking her. Uh, and so much happened that has confirmed in so many ways that the situation she um, was in is, was dangerous. Uh, and the situation that she continues to be in from the Stockholm syndrome, um, you know, is, is very, very dangerous. And they also look at the Jordan year as a time to traffic more individuals to make more money leading into major events like Super Bowl, All-Star Weekend, and all the major events that we see happening, there are people who have an underground, um, uh, underground economy going on. And the currency is the bodies of women and men, women, men, children um, of all different races, but there's something special we know about black bodies. Um, and you know, I, I, I really need to emphasize for folks the danger of what we see going on out here with this human trafficking issue. We talk about sex trafficking, but human trafficking covers a lot of things, including organ um, stealing of the stealing of organs um, where people are picked up maybe used in sexual ways or other ways and then killed to remove limbs, to take hearts, body parts, to be sold off to uh, people who have resources um, that need for their own family member or for whatever black market is out there, or let's not call it black, let's say the underground market that's out there. Um, human trafficking has a lot involved, but when we think about it, the first thing that go comes to mind is women. Right. We think women first and we should think about women because I'm sure women are uh, prop are the highest uh, victims, if you will, of human trafficking. But we also must make sure that we know so that we can keep ourselves, our young boys um, and, and just all of us safe is that men are also a part of this. Um, and, and the issue of uh, 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 be, uh, men being mules where you see people who are working to capture, steal, um, you know, uh, 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 yeah, those things, um, uh, women or other people, oftentimes they are also a part of, uh, they have also, are, are also being trafficked and they are a mule where they're sent out to go do this work. And they have to come back with people or else their family members are threatened with violence or, and or death. Um, they may be in a situation where a husband and wife or a daughter and father have both been captured 
and the more harm will come to the child if the parent, if the father or the brother does not go out and do these things and use their male stature to be able to take over um, a woman in her body and to, um, you know, bring her into this human trafficking culture. These are things we need to know and we need to understand. Shout out to uh, our sister, Tony Rivera, um, that has been on this show and people see her nationally. This is a woman who was a victim of trafficking, who also helped to traffic other women um, and now is a part of the uh, the, of, of trying to help rescue and free uh, people from the 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 un, you know the the the, the just scary horrific uh, lifestyle of trafficking, um, and she educated me that there's so much we don't know about this. And I was having a conversation with someone that's really close to us that I will not expose today, and it took me about twenty to thirty minutes to get this person to stop saying. But how could you want to go back? Like after you have already been, you know, you see your family members, you should just run. But actually the mental abuse and the level of skill that these individuals have to be able to get into the minds of these young women, especially also when they tell you that they're going to kill your family and they show you pictures and they show you addresses of your grandmama's house. Right. And they show themselves standing next to your father in the grocery store and your dad doesn't even know that that person, who that person is, right? Uh, he doesn't even know he's standing next to the person who is threatening to kill him, right? When they show you that type of stuff, a lot of folks feel like they feel afraid and they begin to believe that their, that, that their decisions could disrupt the lives of the people around them and, and could, could really be harming other people. And so it's a real dangerous place. There's been a lot of incidents where people have been talking Tisha Campbell. Folks just tried to destroy Tisha Campbell for coming out and explaining the incident that happened where she felt like some men pulled up to a hotel and were trying to get her in a van. Uh, the radio host, Egypt, uh, she also was talking about an incident that happened at a gas station. And for some reason, we are quick not to believe people who have never been like, I don't know Tisha Campbell to be some liar that just makes up stories about an incident. It's I just crazy. I don't, I don't understand this shit. Like, why would people lie about shit that's detrimental to them? Like, it's I just the know. weirdest. Like, I just don't know. I mean, what history does, T why does Tisha Campbell does not need press? Like, she just doesn't. You know, but, you know, it's just a lot. But, you know, hey, whatever. Anyway, I, I believe her. I believe Egypt. I believe that these things have happened. Um, and, I, and more than that, I saw it with my own eyes going down just days ago. And the way in which this whole thing unfolded, it told me that I even have to be a lot more careful about my surroundings and my safety. So I just wanted to drop that on you. You talked about health and people taking care of themselves. And I saw that Equinox, um, had signs up that said, we don't speak January. So they did not take any new members during January because they said, this is not the time to run to the gym. You, you're, you are spending money you may not be able to maintain. They got to start contracts, break, break contracts, come back, you know, sue you for not, or well, not sue you, but whatever they do to get their money when you don't, you, you cut off the card and stop paying your membership. Then you know, you've got gyms packed where people who are really in their process, they in their bag, they really working out, 
they can't even get on machines because the gym is full of folks that's walking around, just getting on stuff, playing around that are not really committed. And so they said, January, they don't speak that language. You need to start at a time that's after the euphoria of a new year when you really, really, truly are committed to the process of health and, and you know, and your wellness. So I don't know if I agree, you know, some ways I think some people are like, if you don't catch them when they are feeling it, they may never get back into it. Um, but then I also understand that, you know, you want to make sure that, that I think it's actually, it might somewhat might look at it as being responsible for a business to say, hey, let's take a step back from a new year's resolution and really think about what a new mind means. So Equinox did that. Well, listen, I, I agree, man, because people don't want to waste their time. They probably, you, you know, I know they probably get a lot of new emissions and they get some money, but just the process of, like you said, of them having, to, after you try to break the contract and change the card, the money they lose probably doesn't even make up for it. You know, the inconvenience, you overcrowd in the gym for a week, the people that normally come there are, are not comfortable. Like, you know, they want, they want to create when you go to a gym, it's like it's a sanctuary, right? It's it's, a, it's for your mind. So you want you want your gym to be. It's like a home. It's like a second home. Actually, it's a place that you go. You you you. There's a level of comfortability, normalcy. You see the same people, or you see a couple of new people here and there, and they integrate them into the process, into you know the 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 gym world and the gym family. But when it's overloaded and people just come in for a couple of weeks. It, it takes away that passion that those who really, really want to do have. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. Being a gym rat, being someone who goes to the gym, I understand, you know, how a gym needs to create this level of people who are passionate about it because that's yeah. that's that's what the world is. So shout out to Equinox for that. We don't speak January. I appreciate it. <laughs> that's funny. That is so funny. Oh, shoot. What was the next thing? Oh, okay. Well, Obviously, uh, the 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 House of Representatives and um, <laughs> the government, the federal government, they don't speak January either. They speak late January because they were supposed to elect a speaker uh, at the very, very top of the month. And it didn't happen for several days. I mean, I kind of feel like I think it was January 6th. I think it was January 6th, late night. It was either the fifth late night or late night on the 6th that they were they were able to elect um, uh, McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. And I tell you, it's, it's interesting because January 6th, it's like, we just, I don't know, like, I, I'm still trying to figure out at what point something is going to happen other than some random people who were there. It's like, it's like the, the random people, yes, they need to be arrested or, or, or held accountable. Let's use the words held accountable. Mm -hmm. So, T.T. and Boo-Boo Nam, who's selling drugs on the street corners, yes, they have to be held accountable. They are the ones that are terrorizing communities. They're shooting at night. They are, uh, you know, making grandmothers feel unsafe and all of that. But the goal should always be to find out who got T.T., Boo-Boo, and them on the street. Like, that should be the goal. The, the, the Yes, there should be work into that. And what we always say is, we want to find ways to make sure that the resources TT and Boo Boo need so they don't even ever have to go in the direction of being on the streets, right? That, that we, we figure that out. And that's a whole separate side of the conversation. 
But where there is a comparison, right, is that because unfortunately the people who committed an insurrection on January 6th, the reason why I say this, that that comparison is it doesn't exist um, in, in this sense that they want things for our society that would pretty much oppress others and would take us back further than we're already sliding to a time where the power was literally only in the hands of the rich, the successful, and the white, right? That is what they want. That's what they're calling for. That's what they're fighting for. That's what the insurrection is all was all about, right? So you can't give them anything that's going to make them happy or that is going to solve this problem. You can give Pookie and, and TT and Boo Boo them some stuff that'll get them off the streets and hopefully help them with a life of prosperity, right? But you can't give these people anything to help them or to calm their concerns because a part of their- Oh, you can give them something. You can, you can give them something, but it, you can't give them something. Like, they, well, cause you, you can just give, yeah, give them the country. Just tell because them they can do what they want. Right, because it doesn't hurt anybody to ensure that our brothers and sisters have resources, but it will harm other individuals to provide full reign for these crazy people to become, to, to lead our free world, right? That, that, that's problematic. So when I think about the context of all of that, what we know is that the comparison does come together when you start thinking about who is the in the, the who is inciting the behavior that of the people running up the walls or yeah, it's like the Rico charge. Why 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 they don't got a Rico right. charge? You know, there's right. a further in the, uh, Yeah, it's supposed to be a Rico. That? There's a kingpin. Who's the kingpin? That's you know a what fact. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep no, that, that's what it is. We're trying to find nobody is really trying to find a kingpin because we know who the kingpin is, and nobody really wants to dive into that. And I don't understand why. When we we've seen who said, you know. Go take back your country. We've seen who incited this, right? We've seen the, the the major players who 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 caused you know this real insurrection. And and, and the low hanging fruit is it's simple to just get the dealers. But just like in America, most of the time they'll get the dealers, but they don't want to get the kingpins because they're benefiting off the kingpins. Those kingpins are selling billions of dollars worth of drugs that are funding certain things that's a part of their system. So they they've allowed those kingpins. Those kingpins actually work for the government. So they don't they don't stop the gov the government people who who are making money and and, you, and they're utilizing these millions and billions of dollars to do certain things. So they'll grab Pookie off the corner, who was the last stop, you know, who got the last little the the the, the remnants of the drugs that they couldn't sell nowhere else. You know that that wasn't as pure enough for them to sell all around this world. So that's that's what we are. When we look at this insurrection situation, everybody knows where it comes from. We know who the kingpin is. We know who the, the major distributor is. We know who the person who called for it. And we know who the, the major players are. And, 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 and until we really get to that, we, you know, we're wasting our time. I, you know, that's it's nothing else to be said. That's my point, is that we should be looking for the big fish. And, that you know, the commission did that. And they, you know, came forward to say that, OK, you know, we we pretty much have pinpointed Donald Trump's role, Rudy Giuliani's role. But there's still been no arrest. So, you know, that is what it is. But I just thought that, you know, it's important to note that as we were in this delay of 15 votes uh, in order to get 
a speaker confirmed, which by the way, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 and also, you know, of course we have to make sure that we, um, uh, 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 acknowledge that for the first time in history, a black man, Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn, that we know well and can roll up on in the streets, is um, the leader of the Democratic Party. And that is good because, you know, I mean, from a symbolic perspective, that is extremely uh, important because it shows some of our progress. However, we do have issues, fundamental issues with Hakeem about his voting record and his position, especially on the issue of, um, of, of, you know, us being able to fight incumbents, which are people who are sitting in positions across the country and they've been there forever and their way of thinking and approaching government is, um, it's, it, it is, it is, it is, uh, I want to say warped, but just, but, but it's just old, you know, it's just, it's just archaic. It's just, you know, an old mindset that needs to change. And we do, and you know, and he uh, has issues with progressives and I got some issues with some progressives, but I do, you know, but I am, I think we can push Hakeem on a lot of issues because we know him and we know how to have conversations with him. And so having him sit at the head of the Democratic Party is important, but he will not budge, move, or do anything if we're not organized as a people. We have to constantly remind him where he comes from, his background, his history of fighting against police brutality, of being in the street and organizing with black and brown folks for marginalized communities. Um, and we got to keep on him about that. At the same time, the speaker in a different role is the head of, you know, Nancy Pelosi was the speaker and she was, of course, um, uh, uh, you know, oh, oh, uh, she was the leader of the Democratic Party. But now you have a majority of Republicans in Congress, and therefore you will now have McCarthy as the head, uh, as the speaker, which is a lot of power. Problem with that is he had to make a lot of concessions. That's what those 15 votes were about. They vote, with, we went 15 rounds to get a speaker because they wanted concessions. They wanted him to agree to a number of things that actually is the same thing as what we talked about, trying to give those people who were running up and down the sides of the wall of the Capitol things that they want um, in order for them to feel like they're in the, the America that they dream of, the America they want to go back to. And so it's going to be a fight. It's a battle. And, and God forbid, or God bless those people who don't know how serious and significant these moments are and what's taking place right before our eyes. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be a battle, you know, and I just think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I was a little disappointed. And then I got and then I, when I started learning, because a lot of times you just when you don't know, you get a little frustrated. And, I, and I, when I looked at overall with the Democratic Party, they, you know, they, they're starting to have a little more of a backbone, you know, and I think that. You know, what, what I've been saying a, a lot that the GOP is intentional about what it is that they want, and they don't care about what they have to do to get it, you know? And, 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 and it's not always nice. It's not always kumbaya for them. They're very rarely kumbaya. And I think the Democratic Party has to take that same approach. You know, it's not about kumbaya. It's about making sure that the constituents and our voters and the people who vote for us are satisfied that we're doing everything possible to do what we promised them, mm -hmm. you know? 
that's that's what I want to see, you know, and hopefully with Hakeem Jeffries, you know, his speech, though it was symbolic, it was mainly symbolism. I'm hoping that symbolism starts to transfer into actual process and progress and, you know, and, and things that we need as a people and as a culture. Yeah. You know, only one thing I wanted to drop in here, it was an incident in New York where there was a young girl who um, uh, the police officer, it was a fight and the police officer was trying to break it up and he, and he ended up attacking and brutalizing this young girl, punching her, her head, punching her, her face. Uh, kids were there. They fought, they fought to try to get her free from the grips of the officer. And it was recorded. Uh, the officer was suspended without pay. And the mayor came out quickly, uh, Mayor Adams, and said that the officer was wrong. Yes, you got to deal with the fight. You got to deal with the kids. You got to deal with all of that. But at the end of the day, the officer had no right to beat on the young girl the way that he did. Um, and, you know, I, I, got, I had people I actually had, which, you know, F you, but there were pe- there was someone I saw. And, and I don't know why Instagram has this new thing where anybody that that tags you or shares the story, you can see it in your stories. Like that's the most annoying thing in the world. But I happen to see a lot of people tagging me to this incident. First of all, yes, I was on vacation. And unfortunately, I know that for a lot of us, even for myself, we believe that, you know, you, you, it's like the type of work we do, there's no vacation from it. You just got to be ready to go all the time. But what I have learned from being in, I've been, I've been in this role for uh, 30 years of my life. And I also have served other individuals. And I know it is unhealthy to work the way that we do at times. You can't even process your thought for growth. You can't even figure out what is next and what you need to be fighting for in this work when you're just constantly responding to trauma all the time and constantly engaging in massive movements, um, you know, fighting for change. Those things are good, but you've got to build a bench of other individuals that are going to be out there carrying the torch and continuing the work and even coming up with new projects and things that they're doing where you could just support them if it's nothing more than a phone call so that you can mentor them through their own process. You cannot kill yourself being on go all the time. And so being on vacation, it, it was difficult. It was difficult not to sit on the phone with Quilla, which is Shanquella Robinson's sister, every day, the way we have been talking right before the holidays, trying to figure out what's our strategy. Even she and I had to take a break, right? So that we could come back with fresh ideas. It's difficult not to be engaged in everything that we see, but it's a discipline that I know I've had to learn. I've had to learn that a comment on everything I can't do. And that sometimes I have to actually disappear in order to be renewed and restored. And so when I saw the video of the young girl getting punched, I saw it from places with individuals that I know were going to do work. Like they were going to get it going. I know that. I already know these people who sent it to me, the people who tagged me and shared it with me. I knew what they were going to do. But to your point, after it kept coming and coming and coming, and you know, I'm not like, I'm trying to not ignore it, but trying to be like, let's just, you can't, there's going to be a police violence incident before, after, during, there's going to be reasons, family problems, everything is going to still be there when you return from these two weeks of time that you're taking off, right? And there's so many people out there that do great work that you can jump in and support them as soon as you get back. 
And I, but I kept seeing it. I kept seeing it. So I decided, let me just inquire about what's going on so I could make sure if Until Freedom could be engaged that there are other people on our team like you and Linda who are ready to go at all times. And then as soon as I checked into it, the officer had already been suspended without pay. What I want to say is to your point about Hakeem's speech was very, his ABC speech where he talked about what the Democratic Party can be, which I don't agree with all of it because there's racism that exists right there within the party. And there is sexism and a lot of other issues right within the party that has to be, if you really are going to, with, with a speech like that, it needs to match the reality of what is taking place. And I uh, sat with that, right? And I, and I, was, I was thinking about this incident with the officer. Our goal should be, to your point, to see realization of what we've been fighting for. Our goal should not be that we have to have the same exact response every time to these issues. We have to fight so much, so hard, so like to the, to the detriment of our bodies and minds and our spirits. We should be able to see that come to realization. And when an officer attacks a young girl and then is suspended without pay, yes, there's more work to do because you've got to ensure that the process continues all the way to the end to where he loses his job and potentially even is charged with assault for the abuse of a young child. So there's more work to be done. But the first step, it took hell. And it's not just until freedom, Tamika Malu, we talk about years, years, lineage, if you will, in this movement of passing of the baton. You got the, you have the movement that has existed in New York to change police and policing culture for so long. I think about Hazel Dukes. This is a woman who's 90 something years, 90 years old, who's been out there fighting to get an officer suspended without pay. Is it a lot? No, but it is different. And that is what we need to be working towards is how we work, we, we work hard, but then we see results. And so I just wanted to say that because when people were like, I saw what I was saying about FU is somebody was like, oh, well, you know, you ain't saying nothing. You know, you, you on the internet posting cute pictures of yourself, but you're not saying anything about this girl being abused. And I'm like, yo, yo we, we're so traumatized that we live in a space of attacking other people even when they've done the work to make a change. And you set a mouthful. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, 
I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. A podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
That's how we own it. Let me just get to this other uh, topic because I want to make sure that we do not miss uh, this moment of education. I brought it up earlier talking about Dr. King's birthday, and it is obviously coming up now. Um, you know, in just a, a few days, we will be remembering Dr. King during his birthday, remembering his contributions to society. Um, and I didn't know. I don't know where my head was under a rock. I must not have been listening. But I did not know that Stevie Wonder's uh, Happy Birthday song, which the Black version of Happy Birthday that we sing at every birthday function, you do the first Happy Birthday, and then you come with Happy Birthday to you. Like, that's our thing, right? I did not know that that song was dedicated to Dr. King for his birthday. But it wasn't just about his birthday. This is the part that is powerful. The birthday piece, yes. But it was at, actually after Dr. King was dead, right? So Dr. King was killed in 1968. And there was uh, uh, John, Congressman John Conyers, God rest his soul, he introduced a bill to make Dr. King's birthday a national holiday. We all know that. It took 15 years to get it done. And throughout the process, you had different elected officials that were fighting and activists and Black folks uh, advocating to make sure that this became a holiday. But of course, you had resistance from the other side. Actually, a Republican, Senator Ed Brooke, was the one to introduce it the last time where it actually passed in the Senate. So you know, it was it was definitely a bipartisan effort, but there certainly were more people, uh, Republicans and conservatives and racists and otherwise, who were pushing back and resisting having Dr. King's birthday become a holiday. This is a testament, this part that I'm about to say, to how important our movements are and how important it is to have everyone play a role. One of these days in life, People will look back at my son and say, wow, you created this song or this spoken word at this time that helped us to articulate our needs and or to bring attention to Sandra Bland, who's in uh, um, uh, I Don't Have the Right to Do Nothing. And you have so many different pieces that that represent different parts of our experience since we have been actively leading in this movement. The reason why Phoebe Wonder created this song was because he was basically using it as a, a clarion call to get the date passed, to get the legislation passed to make Dr. King's birthday a holiday. So he created this song as part of a movement, as part of a protest, if you will, um, to, to galvanize people, to respect Dr. King, to honor Dr. King, and to support what Congressman Conyers was trying to do. And so everyone played a role. He may not have been Stevie Wonder out there pumping his fists and going to Congress, but that song gave us another rallying cry, gave us something else to join in and, and, and to help to Exactly. And so, you know, when we celebrate Dr. King's birthday, we need to know this didn't just happen. It wasn't like some people just got together nice. It's 15 years of fight, a song, and a community of determined individuals and some bipartisan support is what it took to get Dr. King's birthday solidified so that we will always remember a giant like him. So, you know, happy birthday, Dr. King. 
with all the love and respect. And we know that there is a model that exists that we right now have the ability to continue, which is that every single one of us, no matter your talent, no matter where you want to be in this movement, you have a role to play. And as a result of that, look at where we stand today. That's my thought of the day is look at where we are today because some people sacrificed and took all of our resources and put it in a pot of soup. Imagine where we could go if we continue to do that work. Ooh, look at that work, man. Put that work in, man. Shout out to Dr. King as we celebrate, as we approach his birthday and we celebrate what it is that he's meant to our people and the evolution and the growth and just, you know, the fight for justice and equality in this country. We salute you, King. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I know I'm, I'm going back, circling back, but one of the things that they did to try to stop, I want to read this from uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo. Dr. Julianne Malvo is a historian. She's a great leader. She is a professor. She is um, one of the mentors of Black women scholars in this nation. If you don't know Julianne Malvo, you should learn more about her. But this is a piece that she wrote, The King Holiday Reflects Our Resilience. And this is just one piece that I want folks to know, because, you know, as people look at us, and certainly we're not trying to be uh, or, or liken ourselves to Dr. King, but we would like to live up to his work. But listen to what one of the individuals who opposed the legislation, this is what he did. His name was Senator Jesse Helms. He's a Republican North, from North Carolina. He passed out binders full of lies about Dr. King, describing him as a communist and worse things. He sat around, basically, with a binder of stuff, just the same way like social media is the new binder. Dr. King is a liar, called him a communist, called him, called him a danger to, uh, to America. He said, he said Dr. King, he, he said Dr. King was everything terrible. This was even in Dr. King's death. Dr. King was dead and he was still saying these horrible things and telling these horrible lies about him. And that was what he was using to try to block the holiday. So when you see people out here who are accusing folks of misappropriation of funds, they're accusing people, which some people do do that, but nonetheless, misappropriation of funds, uh, lying, clout chasing, all of that on social media is the new binder that Dr. King had to deal with when he was being, well, he was already dead, but even before that he had been uh, uh, titled, if you will, or had been labeled uh, the most dangerous man in America. That binder now exists in the form of comments on social media. And we, we know all too well what that is. Credit <laughs> to discredit, man. You know, there, there's, it's a playbook, you know, and, and we watched it, we've seen it, we've experienced it, we felt it. We've seen it happen to all our leaders. And the, the, the main way to discredit us is through media. You know, and now that we have social media, you have people who, who have no knowledge, people who don't even have a face that are able to discredit you and make claims, baseless claims that they can't prove, you know? And, 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 and then we have a, a people who are so consumed by negativity that they just grab onto that. Because, you know, like my brother Charlemagne always says, who cares about the truth when the lie is more entertaining? You know, when the lie is entertaining and it says that somebody who, who does positive things is negative, 
and somebody could be like, wow, really? This person? And, and they could throw dirt on your name and they can s- somehow defame you and discredit you. It, 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 it leads for a more story, it leads for a better story on yeah. you know, social media. People want to hear that. They don't want to hear all the positivity. They want to, they want to be able to tear you down. There's a lot of people, not all people, but there's a lot of people, man. So I just want to shout out, shout out to brothers, you know, who, who are doing things. You know, I, we weren't going to talk about it, but shout out to Meek Mill, man. Just because the, the negativity is always overshadowed by the positivity. The brothers. No, the, ne- the positivity is always overshadowed by the negativity. It's the opposite. There you, there you go. The positivity is, no, the negativity is always over, no, the positivity is always overshadowed by the negativity. Yes, you are right. And I, I stand corrected. You know, the brothers started reform. He's bringing people home from jail. Christmas, he bailed out mothers who were incarcerated. He's constantly doing positive things in the community with children. You know, shout out to NBA Youngboy who started this nonviolence, you know, campaign that he's been doing. And he's actually teamed up with former people that he was beefing with to give out toys in communities. Shout out to Bobby Smurda who came home and is intentional about being in detention centers, dealing with at-risk youth, people who are incarcerated, young youth who are incarcerated who don't have you know, role models and who don't have positive influences. And these, these people are doing this work and I know they're doing this work and it's not publicized as it should be. You know, it's not, it's always the negativity that gets highlighted when they get into an argument, discredit, you know, and all these sites. When they're human, when they're but you, Exactly. Human. But, and, and I know we're human, but I just, I would, I want to give the credibility and I want to give the positivity some light because right. they're definitely doing positive things, you know, in the situation that just happened with Meek, you know, I speak, I spoke to him and he talked about how it could have been ugly. You know, everybody's drinking. He's, he's arguing about the fight. He's talking about how Tank is going to win. And the guy and him got into some words and he was there with a bunch of his friends and, and, and cooler. And he said to himself, I'm not going, I'm not going to allow this to turn into more than that. Yeah. There was back and forth. He knew a bunch of his friends, some of them who who have higher tempers. They don't have as much to lose. And what he did was immediately leave. He said, let's go. He said, I was in there, a bunch of my friends, and we left it without incident. And, you know, mm-hmm. rather than being praised for that, there's we're always going to be the part that there's the argument. There was this and that. No, praise the man because he was able to de-escalate. He, he separated himself from a situation that could have been drastic, you know, so I want to I want to applaud that. I want to start highlight because we always call out coward culture and I call out the negativity of our black brothers because I want us to hold ourselves accountable. But I also want to highlight when we do positive things. So I want to make sure that those brothers understand that we see you and we love that you are taking that role. We love that you are evolving. We love that you are recognizing that you have the power to de-escalate. You have the power to do something better. You you know you you are walking into that power. That's what gangster is to me. So those those brothers right there that I just described, those are what I call gangsters and I want to salute them. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I have nothing more to add. I appreciate what you just said. And I think we, you know, and I, I, I've even had to learn that in our human moments that, you know, you got to make good decisions. You got to make decisions that, especially when you're drinking and you out, but I'm going to be honest with you, my son, as I was watching the incident, yes, I know those things could turn into violence. It could turn into a bigger thing. It could turn into something that goes on next week or your camp to get into a fight. But I've been my whole life 
since I was a little girl, especially coming up in the South, you know, being with my family members in the house, whenever there's a sports event or something that is, is tense, I've seen the men get into big arguments and maybe even start scuffling where people got to be like, get relaxed. Like y'all are doing too much. So for us, we used to seeing these types of things and the energy and everybody starts getting into it. That like, testosterone starts going around. Yeah, that testosterone starts moving around. I've I, I, I always said that. But, you know, but when the media gets involved, to your point, they're going to stretch it for their content, their clicks and their likes. When the truth is, generally, those incidents end exactly as it did. People calmed down. Other people got involved, say, listen, relax, turn down. And then, you know, people get to go home safe. So, you know, I'm, I'm just saying it don't really get us as rattled as it does some people because we used to seeing folks get super aggressive around sports events, especially. Yeah, yeah. So. now it doesn't give me rather, it's just that I know that the media has a way to perpetuate things, yeah, right? Absolutely. And I know in those situations when there's a lot of people, you in the front row of a fight and you're somebody and he's somebody and then you have entourages, nobody wants to really lose, right? Yeah. So when those things is publicized and pub publicly, somebody gets beat or hit, you know, there turns into the next level of gunplay. It's not it's not like it used to be. You know, people used to have a fight and you go on and there's energy. But right now, everything is super hyped. You yeah. know, super, so, super hyped up. So, you know, I'm glad that Cooler has prevailed. And I want to salute me for, for being, just being, having that foresight. Because there was times that he didn't. You know what I'm saying? And, and his growth, and you see the growth. You see the growth from the safari situation to now. You see, and, and let's let's promote that, man. Let's celebrate that. Let's say, your brother, we appreciate you. You know, you're yeah. doing you're doing what's supposed to be done in this culture, man. So that's that. All right. Well, you you've got a guest coming up today, uh, someone that you booked to be on the show, um, who has a, yes. a, a, a impactful story himself. And then on top of his story being so impactful, he also. Um, is now doing something for some other individuals that really need help. So let's welcome them to Street Politicians. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So today we have a special guest, 
this brother was convicted of a crime, wrongfully convicted of a crime, then exonerated, and then went on to become a lawyer. Um, I heard of his story from my brother Shaka, our brother, Tamika Shaka Senghor, and um, he said, you gotta meet this brother. And we had a good conversation. And this brother is very, very passionate. You know, reminds me a lot of myself. You know, after being wrongfully convicted, you come home and you have this will and this drive to just want to do better. Um, and this brother is just that. His name is Jared Adams. How you doing today, King? I'm doing well. Thank you both for having me on. Been big fans of uh, you all for quite some time. And I'm just appreciative to have this platform to talk about my, my clients and their story. Before we get into clients, you know, give a little bit. So you were wrongfully convicted of a crime. What was this crime? What, you know, what was the process of you going about getting exonerated and then coming to actually become an attorney? Yeah. Well, I was falsely accused of a rape at the age of 17 years old. Um, a lot of it had to do with race. You know, simply put, you know, my accuser was a white girl. Um, my mom didn't have any money to afford an attorney. And I sat and I watched what I thought I knew about the justice system, you know, totally, you know, crumble down to the reality of what the criminal justice system really is. I got to, to prison turning 18 years old and all I had was an high school education. So I knew I needed to find a way to be able to communicate my innocence because at the time I, I didn't know how. I started to do the same thing that a lot of brothers do when they get in this situation. And I started to fight for myself. I educated myself through having aunties, you know, who mailed me case law to reading in a paper about attorneys and reaching out to them, asking questions. And eventually the Wisconsin Innocence Project took my case, litigated my case all the way up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals where my conviction was unanimously reversed my record was ultimately expunged and I came home and started the healing process with therapy. Then I was able to go ahead and get my associate's degree, bachelor's degree, law degree. And I clerked in the same circuit that overturned my conviction before I started to work for the Innocence Project. That's incredible. The, just the storyline. It sounds like a movie. You know, it's like if we didn't know and see you here as a living, breathing person, it would be you know, a great uh, story and, and story of triumph for yeah. TV. And we know that art often in, imitates life. So much of what we see as the depictions on the screen are things that are actually happening to so many people and particularly Black people. And then even more specifically, Black men. Um, and the issue of rape um, and the issue of the Black male put in the position of being uh, called a rapist by white women is a very, very significant issue. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was yeah. the story? What happened? And then, and then again, I know you're kind of going over the same thing, but then what was the process of exoneration from something that serious? Like what yeah. did the, the, in the Wisconsin innocence project hear and see in your story that made them want to take your case? So I told the complete beginning from the end in my book that I have out, Redeeming Justice. But the best way to get to it was this. If you could think about what happened with Emmett Till, that's exactly what happened to me and my two friends. You, we were invited to a, uh, to a party. 
where a consensual encounter took place and there was a false accusation that bore out of it, we didn't find out until like months later. And when we got to face these charges, the narrative had totally changed into what we normally see the historical depiction of black men's are. We're ravagers, savagers, and it was basically like we were guilty and had to prove our innocence. The truth is, we went to this party, we were invited up, this young lady invited us into her room, her roommate walked in on this encounter, and from that started these false accusations that grew into a narrative. Still, I have no idea where they came up and created this stuff from. So mm. we're, we're, we're now faced with 17 years old, none mm. of us have ever been in any trouble with the law at all. And mm. so our attorneys are telling us strategy that we can only have the hope was true, but it wasn't. This case was tried on race and it had absolutely no evidence besides the accusation. And then what we come to find out is the police withheld a statement from a college student that undermined the entire accusations and he corroborated our version of events. That statement was never turned over to us during trial. So that's what the Innocence Project was able to obtain, which resulted in us being, being exonerated. Wow. I asked about that, the Innocence Project piece, because so many people contact us, um, you know, claiming their innocence. Mm -hmm. uh, they are advocating for themselves and they're looking for organizations, groups and otherwise to pick up th their stories, especially right. the project. I think I get the most calls asking, can I connect somebody within right. the project to, uh, you know, so many, especially brothers. I don't often, which I think is also um, pretty scary. We don't really hear from women as much who are in prison, understanding that black women are the fastest growing population in prison. We don't really hear much from women saying, can you help me get my sentence overturned, right? right? But we hear it from our brothers all the time. What did you say to the Innocence Project? What did that look like? Um, and because I would imagine that because they took your case, it's one of the things that encouraged you to work on the two individuals that you're going to talk about today. Yeah. And, and to your point, Tamika, listen, women are the fastest growing because of the numbers of, of Black men that they've been going through at a, at a rate of like Pac-Man, right? right. And, and the thing about it is I actually represent, you know, some women and I'm investigating their cases and claims of actual innocence as well. The horrible thing about women and wrongfully wrongful convictions is that oftentimes women who are wrongfully convicted, they are wrongfully convicted of not like heinous murders, but of actual deaths of their own kids, which is even more traumatic to think about. The science hadn't caught up to shaking baby syndrome, right? Wow. And so, you know, if the science is off and you're accusing mothers of wrongdoing, well, who do you think bared the brunt of, of those accusations before the science caught up? It was black women, it was women mm -hmm. of color. And so it, it most certainly is an issue. And I wanted to just touch that before I go on to answer. And what I did was this. First, let me say this. I had some praying folks on my side. Like my mother and my aunts would not allow my spirit to, to, to dissipate. And so because of them, I was able to just live each and every day like I was preparing to come home the next day. So I started to write as many people as I could. And I started to 
go through case law and articulate my case with the case that was, you know, in the news or the hottest topic. And eventually I was able to get the help that way. It's one of these things where you, you should ask for help. You should seek, seek help, but you should also be helping yourself by mm -hmm. educating yourself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. The Innocence Project is an organization no different than the one that I've built called Life After Justice, where we can only take so many cases, mm -hmm. right? With two point something million people incarcerated, if only we had 2% of those wrongfully convicted, that leaves thousands of people who are wrongfully convicted and the money ain't in this work. Tamika, you, you know what I'm saying when I say that. The money ain't in this type of work where you're advocating and where you're taking on cases for free. These cases can go on for five to seven years at a hundred plus thousand dollars, you know, each case. And so it's not easy. So when people are looking for help and they're just not getting the responses from organizations like the Innocence Project, it doesn't mean that your case is bad. It doesn't mean that they want to help. It's just the reality that the resources are not here. The mm -hmm. laws do not support people post-conviction because most of the people claiming flaws in their post-conviction look like us on this Zoom right now. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's powerful. So now let's get to um, the case that you are now. When you when you explained it to me, it was mind-boggling. I didn't even understand yeah. how legal being formerly incarcerated, understanding, you know, just understanding the law and, and just understand what I know the law to be, what you were saying to me just really didn't even make sense. So I just want you to give us a little um, understanding about what, the case we're here talking about today. So I'll do my best because when you try to make some sense out of something that's senseless, it just don't make sense. But here's the story of Terrence and Ferran, not guilty serving life. These are two young men born, raised in the Waverly, Virginia area. There's an officer who shot and killed around 10.45, 11 a.m. As they always do, there's a rush to judgment and a roundup of nothing more than, than what I can call a roundup of young black men between the areas of Waverly all the way up to Richmond of a description that does not fit and never fit Terrence and Ferran's description. This officer is shot. The police immediately get there. He gives a description. They start to go out looking for people when all along they knew who the eyewitness, the only eyewitness had identified was not Terrence and Ferran. That part of their case was buried. It was buried. No investigative journalist asked questions. And down in this town in Waverly, which is one of the last known towns to ever do an open lynching, it was as quiet as an injustice could ever be. <laughs> These guys are, get this, they're accused of killing a cop. Two black guys accused of killing a white cop. And they ultimately, trying to avoid the death penalty, plead guilty to accessory after the fact, time served. And the other pleaded guilty to manslaughter, thinking that if they did this, they would be avoiding the death penalty. I'll pause and say this. There was a time where we never believed that anyone would plead guilty to anything that they didn't do. But with the sister Ava DuVernay and the Central Park Five case, we've now become educated that people are put in situations 
where if they're trying to save their life and the lives of their families, they will make decisions that we sitting on our couch cannot understand. That is exactly what happened with Terrence and Ferran. So now the family of the, the officer is, they're mad and they're going to the Department of Justice and they're asking the Department of Justice to right or wrong because they believe that the people they were told that were responsible for the death of their son, the officer, Alan Gibson, they believe that they got off too light. But the true reality is that it wasn't them. And that's why the prosecutor gave them the deals that they gave. They ended up being investigated by the feds during eight months, eight month, you know, eight months after the, the enter of a guilty plea. The feds send down uh, a team of, of undercover agents to do controlled buys of people in around this town. With those people that they were able to get controlled buys on, they used them to bring a federal case and say that the death of Officer Gibson was the result of Terrence Ferran being drug kingpins for 10 years. And that's how the death happened as a furtherance of the drug conspiracy. They ended up being tried in federal court for the same murder that they pled guilty to trying to avoid the death penalty. They're now facing the death penalty in federal court for this same murder. And it's wrapped in a drug conspiracy that has no drugs, no proceeds from drugs, no photos, no recorded conversations, no baby mamas with, 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 with houses, no chains, no gold teeth. If I told somebody that I had a baby, you would expect to see rattles and strollers and stuff like that. So if you say someone has been dealing drugs for 10 years, you would expect to see proceeds, drug paraphernalia, something. Absolutely no evidence at all. They bring forth this case. And again, this is as quiet as an injustice as you'll ever hear, because something like a cop being killed is normally national news. But the reason why it wasn't was because they knew that these guys had nothing to do with it. And so did the jury, who ultimately found these guys not guilty of the murder, but found them guilty of one drug count. Now, I can go on and tell you my opinion of why I think the jury found them guilty of that one drug count. But to bring it to, to where everybody can understand, think about the neighborhoods we grew up in. Think about how you see a federal sweep come through and they picked up guys that you know good and well are living on their mama's couch, don't have any money, nowhere near a big time drug dealer, but they've charged them with the kingpin statute amongst a group of other people. That's mm -hmm. exactly what they did to Terrence and Ferran with absolutely no evidence. So now these guys are now found guilty of this one single drug count. This one drug count would have resulted in 120 months to 200 at most, depending on the calculation of the drugs and the amount that they were alleged to have sold, using what is nothing more than a legal lynching is a case called U.S. versus Watts, where the court, despite the jury finding them not guilty, used the accusation of them being involved with the cop's murder in the state court guilty pleas to enhance their sentence to life in prison. So essentially, 
They robbed due process and said, we don't care what the jury says. We think they did it. Here goes your life sentence. And they've now been in federal prison for the last 25 plus years. That's just unbelievable. Just listening to that. Like when you told me that before, you know, it, it didn't make sense. And the, and the more you say it, it makes less and less and less sense. Mm -hmm. So so what what is the process now? What, what, what have you been doing, you know, to try to write? Because, you know, when I, when I spoke to you, you told me how you've been, you really start investing your own money in this. This was something you looked at the injustice and, and you were so passionate about getting these brothers home that you started doing things that made it personal for you. I, I'll tell you this. Um, so how I got involved with this case, I'm, I'm doing a speaking event at the Virginia Sheriff's Association where, where, where brothers and sisters are getting their rights restored back to vote um, after completing and discharging a, a sentence. And at the end, you know, it was a lady who was standing in the line. She was at least about eight people back. But what stood out to her, for me was, if you could see the wrinkles and creases of anguish on her forehead as she's making her way up to me, it reminded me of my mother. And I can remember being in a courtroom and I'm raised by all women. So to be accused of something, of a rape, and my mother and my aunts are hearing this, I would often turn around and look at them just to reassure them they know who they raised. This ain't true. And the wrinkles and creases of forehead on their forehead, I will never forget it. And when I saw this woman approaching me, it, it made me stop. And, and, and I said, I got to find out what she wants. So she gave me a manila envelope. And it was, it was Farron's aunt, Mary Claiborne. And I started to, to read the contents. And I said, I, I give you my word. This is all I can give you. I said, I'll, I'll look and I'll work on this case until the evidence tells me to stop. Because oftentimes, you know, you get cases and it just ain't the truth, man. People have claims of innocence. And sometimes it just ain't the truth. I told her this in 2017. I've not stopped working on this case since. Every piece of money that my firm is able to bring in, I've donated a third of that to furthering the investigation of this case. I've hired former federal investigators, retired judges, prosecutors, and defense attorneys to put together a panel and say, here's what I found. You tell me if I'm wrong. Not one of them told me I was wrong. That's how sure I am about this case. And that's why I'm here today to put the messaging out because if you could be accused of a crime, found not guilty and still sentenced to life, well, what do we stand a chance in the system at all? What was the sentence for the guilty plea in state court? It was one year time served for Farhan, right? And it was a five year suspended, like three years suspended sentence for Terrence. And this is the murder of a cop, Tamika. Like, and no one, no one ever, no one ever said, well, why did they get that? Well, we know why. Because through this investigation, I contacted the prosecutor who did the case. He says very clearly and adamantly, he never had the information that someone else was identified running away from the scene of the crime. We were able to put this stuff in front of him. We were able to file this in the court. And still, the court has said to us, yeah, we hear what you're saying. And we, you might have a legitimate 
argument, but they should have brought this years ago. So therefore, we don't want to hear it. That's just crazy. So isn't usually what you look you would be looking for is a judge to say in the interest of justice. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, because because what we're talking about, like I said, is, is this. You're talking about a situation that's set up for you not to win. Post-conviction, when a person is convicted, it is designed for finality, not for justice. They are reviewing the case to see if any way they can say, good try, it's not going to work. In a case like this, that screams actual innocence, right? Ruth Gator Ginsburg said it best in one of her written opinions. Innocence should be the gateway over all procedural barriers. And in this case, it's ridiculously flawed in that they aren't arguing with me about the innocence of these guys because the jury found them not guilty. They're not arguing with me that evidence in this case was withheld from them because they got the same record. So instead, they've decided to say, well, they should have brought it 20 years ago, so therefore we're not going to hear it. You said they shouldn't have brought it 20 years ago? They should have. So basically they what should they're saying, have. Yeah, so, and, and, and I have, if, if folks out here looking at this, I have some YouTube videos that pretty much educate us like around post-conviction. And the way that it works is this. I would like to tell everyone that if you're innocent and you have the evidence, that's all you need. That's not the case. So post-conviction works like this. After you're convicted, you have a certain amount of time to bring arguments. I can't tell you why that is, but that's just the way that the system is set up. Some will argue that it's set up that way to give true victims the right to put closure on their case. But there's a way to do it while still preserving people's right to fight for their innocence because there are innocent people who are there. But it's designed to keep you on the short time limit to bring these arguments. And what that does is this. It, put, it puts people who, in the criminal justice system, that 80%, if not higher, rely on public defense. It put people who, at post-conviction, couldn't afford the attorney to represent them at the initial stage even further behind, because now you need an attorney to do these challenges to the, the actual conviction, and they have to do it within time frames that are like a year, two years. And if you miss them, they literally will not hear arguments and will block you as a result. And it simply makes no sense. And then what has to happen is this. You now have to go from the court of law to the court of public opinion in order to hope that someone looks at the case, becomes disturbed enough, compelled enough, or politically indicted enough to do what is right. And that's what Terrence and Perron's case is. And I'll expand upon that. We made the filing to the Virginia Appellate Court asking that they be granted actual innocence. During the time, there was a Democratic Attorney General by the name of Mark Herring who was in office in Virginia. His office took a whole entire year to investigate everything that I allege. They came back and in a 78 page filing, they agreed with us and said that Terrence and Ferran should be granted their actual innocence and their convictions should be reversed. The problem is, Herring lost his seat before the actual court hearing. And 
a Republican, Jason Myaris, took office. And when he took office, he reacted back. And I don't even know how you can do this. And we're arguing about this in the Virginia Supreme Court now. He retracted the support of his, his, his you know, predecessor. predecessor. And, and, and literally said, well, these guys came too late with this argument. He never said anything about they're guilty. He never said anything about this attorney general viewed the evidence in, in, in the wrong light. He simply said, these guys pled guilty. They should have brought this long ago. Don't do it. And how, how, so you have the Supreme Court in Virginia. Yes. Is there a higher court that this can be taken to after? It, it is. And so right now there's two things going on. We have a part, we have a pardon clemency request on the desk of the president right now. I mean, it's, it's there. All of the details and facts are there. Um, and the president can sign this and either pardon them or commute their sentence at any time. Mm. The argument that we're making to the Virginia Supreme Court is that you cannot reverse course in the middle of litigation just because of a political change in climate. And that's exactly what happened in their case. So our argument to the Virginia Supreme Court is happening on the week of February 14th. And we're hoping that they order it back down to the state court to allow us the opportunity that we've never had. And that's the, the power to have an evidentiary hearing where we can subpoena witnesses into court and get them sworn under oath to, to testify as to how the evidence of an identification of another suspect that happened less than one hour after the officer was shot, how did it not make its hands in the prosecutors or the defense attorneys back when this case happened? And we're just praying right now. And so this is the part of the reason why I'm here because still this case has not went national and we're talking about the death of a police officer. Do you understand that if I had it wrong, there would be no shortage of a thousand articles talking about this crazy black lawyer who making this crazy argument? That's not happening because I'm right. And so I'm hoping that someone can help me push this thing over. And what it's gonna take, it's gonna take the attention of us, the culture, because these are two black men who've been in there for a quarter century for something that they not only didn't do, but they were found not guilty of. So, you know, I just want to, I want to ask two more questions and I know you got a lot of, you got work to do and, mm -hmm. and we, we thank you for taking time out your busy schedule to come here. First, I want to ask, just listening to this, how many people do you think, because we, we see people exonerated every day, yeah. we see, you know, the, all of these things clearing people every day. How many people you think have been flawed by this process that you're talking about that are actually innocent, who presented evidence and a, ju a judge has told them that they presented it too late, that's probably still sitting in prison right now? That's the first question I want to ask. And then lastly, what is, what is it that we, we can do to actually help this case? Because, you know, I, I'm... You know, I was formerly, I'm formerly incarcerated and wrongfully convicted of a crime. And I know that pain. When you describe yeah. the, the mother, the wrinkles in the forehead, and you describe being in that courtroom and looking and assuring your mother and your grandmother that they raised a certain person. I remember that. I remember my grandmother being in court and I'm looking at her and they're talking about me. And it was one thing 
that one of the, the victims supposedly who I supposedly robbed said to her that 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 gave me some, you know, gave her understanding that it was a lie. She was the victim said that I got inside of his cab and I was smoking a cigarette. And my grandmother knows how much I hate cigarettes. My grandmother knew that she would put me on punishment for two or three weeks because I wouldn't even go to the store to buy her cigarettes because I didn't want her to smoke. She yeah. knows how anti I was. So the minute she heard that, she jumped up and screamed and had to be removed from the courtroom because she said, you lying. My grandson would never smoke no cigarette. Y'all lying on my grandson. So that right there gave me some solace in knowing that she knew that what they were saying was alleged was wrong about me. But I just want you to answer those yeah. two things so that we can, you know, let you go. You know, I can tell you this. The numbers are scary. They're scary. If we have, of the 2.3 million people incarcerated, we have roughly somewhere around 900,000 uh, Black men, right? Just talking about Black men, but in women, numbers are increasing. So if you just take that and you say to yourself, if 80% 80, 80 of those folks are reliant on public defense, and this ain't a negative to talk about a public defender, this is to highlight how their job, they can't do it. They don't have the resources, they're overwhelmed. So I would say this, the numbers from the Innocence Project and John Grissom suggest that there's like two to 3% of people who are wrongfully convicted. So if, if they're saying it's two to 3%, you know that it's probably about 10%, right? Because you know that people oftentimes plead guilty for things that they didn't do. They oftentimes are advised, you know, ill-advised, you know, to, do, to, to go through a proceeding that they shouldn't go through or wait or whatever it is, take a plea. We know that because before bond reform, people would plead guilty because of the, the, how horrible the conditions were in county jails. So, so if we really wanted to do and find out the numbers, we would have to go through and, and each individual case. And I, I'm gonna tell you, I would say this, of the 2.3 million, I would say somewhere around 25 to 30% of people who encounter the criminal justice system are either wrongfully convicted, um, pled because they just wanted it over with, you know, and, 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 and or didn't have the resources to put up their defense. And so again, they just waved the white flag to get it resolved. This is a culture thing. This is, this is where, where you have 90 something percent of, of prosecutors being white men and they, they go on oftentimes to become judges and then they're, they're, they're handling cases in the cities like Chicago, Baltimore, where it's a revolving door of young black men that are coming before them, they, they start to become desensitized and they just get rid of cases, get rid of cases, get rid of cases. And that's why I'm saying the numbers, if we peel back the onion, it would terrify us how many people are wrongfully convicted or pled guilty to something that they did not do. So tell us, tell us what you want us to do to help. How can we help? How can people sitting watching this interview help? Like, what, what, what is the process? Here, here's how I think folks can help. I think we all need to become educated about, about these issues. And what I, what I mean by that is the issues that directly affect us in our community, um, they're more than just the legal conundrums. You know, they are intertwined 
with the, with the problem that we still face and deal with in society, and that is race, that is prejudice. We have a system that you cannot just keep changing the faucet. You have to rip up the floor and change the pipes in order for it to work. So what we have to do is case by case, the most egregious to start with, we have to unify as a culture behind these cases and not just do it at the conclusion of the case. We have to do it all the way until there becomes legislation that prevents this type of stuff from happening. As a result of the Central Park Five case, you can now no longer interrogate kids without an adult. When it comes to Terrence and Ron's case, we need to demand that the court stops robbing due process of its power, specifically at a high rate to black men, when they're sentencing people and they are using what's called relevant conduct, which is nothing more than accusations by the government, and they're using it to enhance brother's sentence to life. So what we have to do is, in my opinion, visit the website, Not Guilty Serving Life, look at the YouTube. It tells you how to obtain a pro bono attorney. It tells you, uh, um, you know, the things that you need to look for when you're evaluating these cases. And more importantly, we need to sign this petition for Terrence and for Ron, and we need to eradicate the use of relevant conduct. I'm telling you, if you look at the numbers, they ain't doing it to nobody but us, y'all. That's mm -hmm. who relevant conduct is being used against. Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds, I mean, you say it's so articulate and it's like wrapped up in a bow and it's clear, even though it's senseless. Um, but there are so many, as I said earlier, brothers, family members that we meet that are explaining the exact same thing you're saying. They just may not be as articulate and able to describe it in depth. Right. Mm -hmm. But they know what's happening, not just to themselves, but to other brothers who are locked up right next to them in jails all across this nation, in prisons, yeah. nation, federally and locally. Um, right. And we know that we know that the crime of uh, unjustly convicting men of color and particularly again black men is big business. People are making money off of this, and so yeah. therefore, you know, why would a system? Yeah, I, I had a, a family member tell me one day when we were talking about the campaign to close Rikers Island in New York City. Um, and that this particular family member is a correction officer, has now retired, but was there uh, in the system for many years. And when I was saying, you know, and this was just a conversation like, two years ago, I was saying, you know, they gotta close the jail because too many people are dying, which by the way, since that conversation two years ago, we've had tremendous death. People continuing. Wow. Since, you know, since for the last few years. And so um, she says to me, well, how, where am I going to work? You know, where, what, where will we get jobs? And it took a while for her to sit with and process and come back to me and say, damn, because she is an advocate, right? She does right. believe in this justice in the system. She is one of those or was an officer who tried to help uh, incarcerated individuals. So she was not, she was, she didn't realize how institutionalized she was, that this is business. This is about money. So if you close the prison, or if you allow those people who uh, have not committed crimes, those people who are innocent to go home, then where are you going to get the resources to keep this business operating that keeps 
uh, phone operators on the DMV system in some states uh, that makes police uniforms, car parts, uh, and moreover, that provides jobs and also contracts for so many, including what is the, the R mark um, making the uniforms and the food. I mean, there's so much business coming out of prisons and we are the collateral. And the interesting thing about it is I sit and I listen to you and then also just coming off of a time of Kwanzaa and, you know, we're just coming off of a time where we should be reflecting, right? We've always been a part of the chattel slavery, right, mentality. And this is what continues to happen today. In fact, even the invasion of our land in Africa was all about currency. It was all about using Black bodies to build and to be the currency and the foundation of white wealth. Yeah. Um, and of the power structure of now of the American government, but there were other governments prior to this who have taken advantage of us. And so, you know, I, I, I agree with you that we've got to educate ourselves. We've got to be educated outside of who shouldn't be locked. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, 
movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts up. We've got to know why Pookie yeah. is locked up and what the system looks like and where that comes from. So, you know, that's my my soapbox for the day. Thank you for right. listening to my TED talk. Um, but no, that was I, appreciate, I appreciate you coming and, you know, and, and sharing with us this story of these two brothers, uh, Terrence and Ferran, um, who need to be freed. You know, it's very clear. And I think that even though I don't know you well, I believe just from Shaka being our brother, listening to you today, um, that you wouldn't even be involved in this situation if you did not know 100% that these brothers uh, should be free. And that's enough for me to feel like we should do all that we can to help advocate for you. And the last thing I will say is that the clemency piece is important, right? Um, there was so much drama. My son and I have been involved in Instagram and, and well, my son does Twitter. I wouldn't open Twitter. Well, every time I open it, I'm traumatized. Um, but just, just the smell of Twitter or someone saying it makes me sick. But we've been involved in these online wars about Brittany Griner coming home. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, um, you know, we have had to say to those, even our own brothers and sisters that questioned Britney's return and how she was, oh, the, the, the trade that was done in order to get her freed, is 
um, you know, people, basically what I've had to say is that we as Black women have done business with the Biden administration, mm-hmm. right? We voted for this administration 94 plus percent and have continuously bailed out the Democrats from, from Warnock twice, um, maybe true. even more than that, because somewhere they told me, Warnock, this is his fifth election. I, I don't know when that happened, but nonetheless, there's been at least two big runoff situations that we have had to go into Georgia from the activist level to Black women and men voting for that candidate. And there's been so many races around the country. So we deserve Brittany Griner to get free because we said so. So the, the pardon or sentence commutation that you're talking about, we also should be demanding that in the same way. It is not to say Britney shouldn't be free. What it does mean, though, is because we did business with the administration and we see that it works, we know there's a presidential election coming up, then we ought to be exploiting that relationship the same way that they're trying to exploit us. We yeah. should be doing the same thing because this is about American business. And mm-hmm. I think that's the mindset. The mind frame is how do we use the Griner model? that they knew they could not leave a black woman in jail and or in Russia and then still win elections and come to us demanding stuff. They knew they couldn't do that. And we need to be demanding the same on the other side and with other issues. And so, you know, I think that that's got to be the message that we're sharing with our brothers and sisters who are in community that need to, you know, be activated to help with what you, you have going on. And, and I, I hope, look, you, you said that so well. Um, I'm, I'm just piggybacking at this point. We got to get something for our support. And, and this to go to your point, I just talked with, with Ron's dad. And he was like, look, why hasn't the Black Caucus in Virginia mm-hmm. come and supported you? He mm-hmm. like, man, I, every time I go there, you know, he remind me of like my, my grandfather. You know, he tried to roll up a couple of dollars and stick it in my hand. I'm like, look, thank you, dad. But like, man, let me, look, we, we got it, man. He like, but I don't understand why they ain't helped you. And I'll just say this. This is a family, historically, years, all of their life, they've been told, go in that booth, punch blue. Don't matter who behind it. That's so right. Told their grandkids, told all of their friends. And they've done that. And now here they are, right? They had the support of a Democratic attorney general who said they're innocent, they should be out. A Republican comes in and said, I don't care if they're innocent, I'm going to leave them in just because I don't like the Democrat who wanted them out. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, this one on y'all. We need you. Terrence and Farron need you. You don't have to exchange nothing at all. Just sign the pardon and commute their sentence today. They deserve it. Thank you, brother. Well, you want to say, I just want to ask one more simple question. Yes, sir. How long were you incarcerated before you were exonerated? So I did 10 years in prison. I did almost 10 years in prison. Uh, I was a baby, man. I was a baby. And I, I sat there and I expected the same results in my case, because I know we ain't do nothing, that I would see on Law & Order growing yep. up as a kid. Now, I don't, I don't, I come from a very rough neighborhood in Chicago. But my grandmother was even rougher. She ain't played that, right? And so we stayed out the way. So when this, this allegation against me came, my family knew it. They knew what time it was. But they also knew this. 
they also knew that I didn't know what I was up against because they had kept me on the porch all my life, right? So when this happened, they knew what was about to happen. I didn't know. I thought all I had to be was innocent and that was enough. So when I went through this for those 10 years and I'm writing all these people and I come home and I'm being, you ever came home and been introduced to your niece or your nephew? You know how difficult that is? You know how many brothers come home and they got to look through picture albums. I'm looking through a picture album one day and I'm flipping through the pictures. My baby pictures, eighth grade, high school. I don't see another picture for 10 years later in that album. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I know exactly what it's like. Mm. Wow. Well, I, I want to that's, that's, that's heartfelt and passionate and, and you know, I, I definitely understand that. I understand that. I felt that. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. And whatever you can, whatever we can do, you know, as individuals, as, you know, this podcast, as our organization, whatever we can do, we definitely are here for you. Now you're one of our friends. That's a going, 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 you know, joke we say. Everybody here is our friend. And, you know, you definitely are now one of our friends. So please make sure that you utilize us in whatever situation that you have, man. And continue to do the work because it's God's work that you're doing. You know, sometimes we turn our pain into our purpose and our passion, man. And that's what is I see that you've done. So we salute you, man. I appreciate you. And the same applies here as well. Look, there are a lot of people who jump on um, and give you their version of what the, the law is and, and, and stuff like that. I promise if you guys ever send me an email with a question from the fan base who wants to know a true, legally supported answer to what's going on in court and out, I got y'all. Attorney Jared, Attorney Jared Adams, thank you so much for joining Street Politicians. We appreciate you. Such an insightful interview today. And, you know, you certainly, as my son said, can utilize us and count on us for our support. Thank you, guys. Continue to do what you're doing. We need y'all voice. Thank you. Thank you. That's how we own it. I don't know if you say good interview, because even though he's great in terms of how he explains it, and you said it right, that he has a lot of passion, you know, clearly his own circumstances. It was a great question that you asked about how long he had been uh, in prison, because for some reason in my mind, I thought maybe two years or three years, but 10 years, that's a long time. Uh, you know, to have served and it's so many people. It's just so, so, such a sad thing that it's not just sad, it's maddening. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a crime. It's an inhumane, it's inhumanity. It's, it's so many things. The amount of people who have his story, who 10 years would have been a cakewalk for them in terms of what they are doing now, 30, 40 years, you know, and, you know, all the people that we do see getting, coming home. I just, you know, something in my spirit wants to say that, or wants to use this as a moment to remember the late, great Kenneth Thompson, our uh, dear sister, Lushawn Thompson's husband. Uh, he was the district attorney in Brooklyn. And even though we didn't always agree on different issues, one thing we always, always, always appreciated about Ken Thompson was his thirst for freedom, and for exoneration. From the day he took office until he 
dis- he died, he was getting people free. And the good people like him, just, I don't know what happens. It's like they don't live long. You know, he, he was, that was his big thirst and passion was to get people free. He is known for exonerating so many, um, especially brothers, of course, of, of different black backgrounds also in Brooklyn uh, after his predecessor had a whole lot of people locked up for crimes they didn't commit. So, you know, I, I just, I want to see the work of uh, Jared, Attorney Adams, and the Innocence Project, and Brian Stevenson, and, you know, so many who do that work every day that that, that work would just be multiplied. Definitely, man. Just hearing him, he reminded me so much of myself and the passion that I have for just, you know, saving our people and, and, and just paying your part. You know, after you've been incarcerated, especially wrongfully accused and incarcerated, you have this passion to want to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, so he utilized his time. You know, he didn't allow the time to do him. He did the time and he educated himself. And now he's able to serve to make sure that what happened to him doesn't happen to anybody else. So once again, I want to say thank you to him and thank you to my brother Shaka for saying you got to, you need to meet this guy and you guys need to talk to him. So shout out to both of them. That brings me to my, I don't get it. You know, it was, it's been a little time, but I didn't really hear anybody talk much about this whole Skip Bayless and DeMar Hamlin situation. Um, I, I don't get how it was pretty much just glossed over, you know? And I, I you know, a lot of people say, oh, you always want to race bait. I just, it's not so much race baiting for me. It's just understanding the dynamics that Black people have to do. I watched Kyrie get hammered about a situation that something that he didn't even say you know, uh, something repost. I watch Black athletes. I watch Black, you know, entertainers. I watch Black people, period, who have platforms be hammered about things that they say or things that they're even attached to. And to watch Skip Bayless make that tweet, which was so insensitive, while a man was on the field being resuscitated, being brought back to life who's heart damn near stop on the field and him talking about just play the game, you know, and knowing that if a black man had said that same thing, there would have been consequences and repercussions. I just don't get how we continue to allow things like that. I don't understand how the world wasn't way, way more critical. You know, I didn't hear any direct apology come from just, you know, the, the network, People that he worked with, I didn't see any consequences. There wasn't no suspension. There wasn't no, uh, maybe a couple of days off. You know, based on what he said, we understand how it, it affected the family, the community, the, the fans of football, you know, and, and, it, and it did. It, it hurt a lot of people. A lot of people, like, you know what I said? People were harmed, you know, and I didn't see any any consequences for it. And I just don't get that. I don't, I don't get why is so clear that there is bias in America and everything that has to do with, you know, black and white and, and people of color and white people who are in the same positions, but yet we act like it's not, you know? And we, we even 
as black people, we normalize, right? We, we, we've normalized the fact that white people can say things and get away with things that we can't. And we just call it, you know, business as usual, you know? And I think just, just looking at that situation and then his response, you know, as Shannon Sharp, you know, would hope that he would take the tweet down and his, the insensitivity of him saying he's not going to take it down because he meant what he said, you know, just standing firm, wrong and strong. And to know that you can still go see that tweet and you can see that a man was way more interested in the game continuing than an actual person who was fighting for his life, you know, and, and him to stand by that and the people that he worked for, you know, in a, in a, in an organization, speaking about an organization, why the NFL didn't see that call on him to do something. You know, it's just so many different aspects, you know, that I really just don't get. But, you know, I do get it, but I don't get it. You know, and I just, it, 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 was, it, it bothers me. It bothers me that our lives, you know, are, are not taken serious. It's not valued as much as everybody else is. So I'm always gonna say something about it. People are gonna be like, oh, you wanna, right? No, I wanna tell the truth. I don't have a problem telling the truth and I don't care what comes with the truth. But you know, that that tweet was insensitive, you know, and his response to Shannon for hoping that he would take the tweet down was even more insensitive, you know? And, and, and I think there should have been some level of consequence. I'm not saying he fired a man, but there should have been some level of suspension, some, you know, some level of making him be held accountable for saying something with a platform as big as his that was detrimental and that was harmful to people. I mean, I, one thing I will say is that I don't know much about this topic because obviously the only reason why I, um, you know, even knew what was happening was because because of all the social media. And it wasn't even, um, and which I think is part of your point, it wasn't even the incident. I learned of the incident second to the Skip Bayless tweet. Like it was more out there in terms of D.L. Hughley and Matt Barnes and, you know, the list goes on of individuals saying Skip was disgusting for what he tweeted. And then after that, I actually saw what it was about. Right. Because I'm obviously sort of not in the sports loop and. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't consuming as much social media during this time, but I did see a lot of people, especially black men, saying that his tweet was insensitive, wrong timing, all of that. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think a lot more people who jump to call for black folks to, uh, you know, apologize, correct uh, atone, repent, bow down. There's so many things that, you know, we are, are, are called to do whenever our people, whenever someone is um, accused of harming any other community. Um, and I, I think that it's a testament, which we talk about all the time, to the unity of that community. Right. And black folks have to have the same that we will all or not all of us in terms of every single person, but that there will be a majority of the majority who will say no and will push back together 
Because once we do that, we force people to have to respect us the same way that other communities um, have have really uh, been able to accomplish, which is something, it's not something for us to uh, be upset about. We should actually use it as inspiration for what we should be doing as a community as well. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that's, that is the message that sort of comes out of all of this is how do we get to the point as a people where he can't even be on TV without not just a full apology, but certainly removing the tweet, right? Because if you're there, then we as a people will hurt your numbers by not watching your network. And that particular show will lose ratings and also any sponsors they have will be will receive uh, uh, letters of demand, calls and everything, because there is a way to force people, unfortunately, into um, doing what is right. I don't want to say submission because we certainly don't like when it feels like that for us, but certainly force them into doing what's right or force them to have to uh, exit stage left. And so hopefully that's what we learned from this whole ordeal. And thank God. Uh, the young man is doing better, uh, you know, smiling, has his faculties. He's alive. He's talking. That's really, really like, whoa, because I just I mean, after what I saw, I just didn't know that he was going to make it. Yeah, it, it, it was rough, man. And it was and I think that's even more reason why I just think, you know, we as a community, we as people of just good moral fiber and, and, and people of integrity should just you know, say, hey, Skip, that, that, that tweet needs to come down. So, you know, that that's something that I would like to see. I would like to see us band together as a community and as just people just of good, good, good heart saying that the tweet should come down. And with that said, we come to the end of another episode of the number one podcast in the world, Street Politicians Pod. Make sure that you tune in. We appreciate you guys. You know, um, send us your requests, send us your input, let us know what you want us to talk about, let us know how much you love us, let us know how much you hate us, ask Street Politicians Pod on Instagram, DM us, you know, we just want to say thank you for always supporting us, we, we couldn't be number one without you guys. Oh my and God. <laughs> we couldn't be number we, one. The number we one are one. working towards becoming number nah, one. We are number one, well, this we is manifestation. Not- it's yeah, manifestation. I, I, I understand manifestation, but I also know how people's minds work and how black people's minds work specifically. When they think something is already done, they don't feel like they have to work to help. No, do no, it. You, so, you don't understand. I know that black people want to be a tough part of the winning team. So when I they feel you winning, they jump. They like, oh, that's the winning team. That's the number one. Let me go. Yeah, but we still need to make sure that people know that we're doing really, really well. It's the first show of 2023. That's a new year. Thankfully, we have survived it with our Black Effect um, uh, podcast network contract. And we're back again for another season, another year. Um, but we do need people to continue to download our podcast and to support us, to help us uh, to really, really be number one on the charts. Now, we're certainly number one in the hearts of so many, um, but there is work to be done to move us to the top of the podcast charts. You know, we, I was reading some research recently that talked about, uh, you know, Black folks and how they consume information. 
And podcasts is certainly one of the growing areas. It's not the first yet, but it is becoming that. And so, so many more of us need to turn podcasts on and listen to great content of all sorts. Um, Black Effect Network, Podcast Network has so many different types of podcasts. They've got the Gossip Girls. They got the people talking about sex, hip hop, sports, um, the culture, politics, um, you know, all kinds of issues. And you could just literally pop on a podcast and listen while you are cleaning up, while you're, you know, in your car. And so please look at podcasts as a form of information because there's so much and there's so many good ones, you know, so many podcasts that are out there, not just on this network, but lots of podcasts and lots of YouTube content where you can actually see visuals. Yeah. And, and, and we were voted in the top seven most important uh, we were number, black no, we were, podcasts. We were number eight of 12, eight. I think. Number eight of 12 or something like that. Like eight of 25 or 20. I don't, I don't remember, but it was Essence podcast and we were in uh the number of, of top black podcasts that are on the air right now that's us street politicians man i'm not gonna always be right tamika mary's not gonna always be wrong but we will both always and i mean always be authentic 2023 we coming for that number one spot Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWoman.tv. That's how we own it! A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, 
and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.